Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome. Glad you're here. If you're new around here, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome home. Glad you're here. Uh, we get to do this in four different locations. Would you just join me and let's help welcome in and give a big shout and a Merry Christmas to all the people at our other campuses. We just do that. Let's just say welcome to our friends at the Edgewood campus, the Abingdon campus, uh, Mountain Road campus, and our first ever Christmas at the Aberdeen campus. Welcome. Love you guys, too. Glad you're with us. Hey, uh, it's a fun time of year. It's a festive time of year. Carl and I finally got invited. Here's a life hack for you. We finally got invited to a Christmas party. They, t- they said, bring dessert and a game. And so I did. All in one. Yeah, just that's free. Nothing to do with anything. I just thought that was fun. Um, okay. So some of you are like, write that down. It's two for one. Um, We've been, uh, over the last few weeks together, we've been kind of, we package up our messages in these, and we call them like a series, so they kind of hold the thought together through a series of weeks. And we've been in a series called Christmas Playlist. Christmas Playlist, because everybody has a Christmas playlist, almost always, and you listen to lots of different kinds of things this time of year. How many of you would listen to Handel's Messiah? Would that be on a playlist for any of you guys? Yeah, yeah. I definitely would for me, but I found a version of, Christmas, of Handel's Messiah that, oh my goodness, um... You can decide for yourself if this would make it onto your Christmas playlist. Just listen and really let your heart get into it. This can make you, this can bring you to tears. Go ahead and play Handel's Messiah. Is that brutal or what? It makes you just want to cry. I love how the end of that, the audience kind of doesn't know whether to applaud or not. But that actually kind of fits, doesn't it, for the kind of year or two that we've had here. It's just a per- that maybe that's on your playlist. So the, the question is actually, uh, what's, on your, what's on your playlist? And by that, we really don't mean what's, you know, what the songs that maybe come over um, in, in your, on your Spotify or, you know, at home with Alexa, but... But what, what are the messages that regularly you are inviting, allowing, and feeding into your mind and into your heart? What's on your playlist is a way of asking that question. Like what, what, what's, because we all know we live in a time when, when it's just so, there's just so much stuff that just wants to bombard us with a string of negative, cynical, not helpful um, biting, divisive, ugly stuff. And if you get enough of that, well, it starts to kind of affect you, doesn't it? In fact, you know, it's like, you can think of it this way. Like if you go get your favorite cup, you get your favorite cup and you fill it up to the top in your house with coffee or beverage or whatever it is, and you're making your way back to your favorite chair. But on the way there, someone comes bolting downstairs and just totally runs into you or you trip over something and you, what happens at that moment? Yeah, I mean, when, you, when you're real, oh, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. But you're going to get it all over yourself and everyone else around you. What's in here is coming out, right? 
And this is, seems to me like this is exactly what's going on over the last couple of years. Sorry about that. I probably shouldn't use hot coffee. It's okay. It looks good with your polka dots. It's all good. But don't you think that's kind of what's happening over the last couple of years? It's like pandemics and problems and the pain that everyone's been through over the last couple of years. It's like it didn't put all that stuff in our cup. I think it exposes what's in the cup. Because when you get jostled by life, stuff comes out. And guess what's coming out? I mean, look around, you guys. It's like there's more ugliness and anger. As a society, we're more fearful and discouraged. And there's more anxiety off the charts. There's a depletion of, there's despair. What we need is hope. What's in your cup? Because whatever's inside of you comes out. Jesus taught that. He said, the mouth just speaks what the heart's already full of. And what we're seeing is that, man, some of us need some better stuff in our cup. Because we're all full of something. Turn to someone next to you. You can just tell them if you want. You're full of it. Go ahead if you want. And I can tell some of you that's not the first time you've said that. You really enjoyed that, didn't you? Yeah. But the fact is, we're all full of something. And the question is, what, what are we full of? And the, that's what we mean with the question, what's on your playlist? And our hope is that we would just remember, oh, man, that's why Christmas it's such an amazing time because we get to remember it's not just when Jesus came a long time ago, but it's, it's the fact that the living Christ comes today and is here with us and desires a relationship with every single person on the planet, with you. And that when Jesus comes, he brings with him a love that will never let you go. He'll, he brings a peace that transcends understanding, a, a kind of joy beyond our circumstances, and he, he puts hope in your cup. And our hope was just that every single one of us would, whatever we came with, would leave with that in our cup, with that on our playlist, with that inside of us, that kind of relationship with the living Christ, okay? So I, I just hope you'll open your spirit to that wherever you might be with God tonight, you know? Just like open your spirit to see uh, where this might go. I want to tell you a story. <clears throat> some of you know, a couple of years ago, um, some of us from Mountain went on a bit of an expedition. We went over and we climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro uh, to raise funds for Missions of Hope in Kenya. And I tell you, it was, it was an adventure for sure. It was, uh, um, it was fun in many ways, but I am not going to lie. The night of the final ascent was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, it was, so I got to set this up a little bit. So you're, you're, first of all, you fly 13 hours to get over there. You're out of sorts. You're not sleeping that well. You're eating food you're not that used to. And then this goes on for days and days. And then you start your hike. And then you're like, after four or five days of that, and then you're in altitude and you're not getting enough oxygen. And then, we're, and then, then like you get to the 20,000 feet where you're already sort of fatigued. And that's when the hardest, most arduous part of the climb comes. And so the night comes and you, you go to bed and try to sleep for a couple hours with 20 guys all in one bed. That that was fun. Some strange noises coming out of that thing. And then, and then you get up at like 10 o'clock at night and it's free. It's like sub-freezing temperatures. So you put on all your stuff, you load up your pack and you get ready to head up this hill in the cold, dark night. And so here we go. And I'm, I, so we're, we're doing these switchbacks all the way up this mountain. The footing is bad. It's like sandy at first. And, 
And I get dizzy easily, and these headlights are flashing all over, and the altitude and the meds and all that stuff. And, I, and I'm just, I'm throwing up. I'm dry heaving. I feel like I'm going to fall off the mountain. At one point, we're going up. Okay, we're, we're like, I don't know if it's two hours in or what. And this other group that was ahead of us is bringing someone down because they had to rescue him or whatever. I'm not kidding. They were like holding him by his armpits. His, his legs are just dragging, and his eyes, I get one look at him as he comes by. His eyes are like doing something out of a cartoon, like, it's like, that was not encouraging. And no one in our group said a word. We all watched that guy go by, but everyone was thinking the same thing. Like, am I going to make it? Like, are we going to make this? I'll never forget, it was about 6 a.m. And it had been a long uphill trudge. And it was... (laughs) At that moment when some people were not saying anything and you knew, well, we, we got a problem here because some people are going to start tapping out. And that's when somebody said, hey, look. So you stop and, you know, I looked. And there behind us and below us on the horizon was the little sliver of sunlight that was coming up, breaking through the darkness of the night and it took my breath away. People were like, <gasps> like we'd never seen the sun before. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, it was so beautiful. And people, there were smiles on the faces all of a sudden. People were, were letting out like little faint shouts because we didn't have any breath, like, oh, wow. <laughs> I almost wanted to cry in that moment. I remember, and why, why is that? I'll tell you, it's because that morning light, literally, that ray of sun was like a ray of hope. I felt a thrill of hope. I felt rising hope inside of me. And suddenly, I could see the trail a little better in front of me. And I could see the top where we were going. And I had a little bit lighter backpack all of a sudden for some reason. And my legs had a little more step to them. And a couple hours later, we were, we were singing and dancing and singing praise songs to God on top of Mount Kilimanjaro, 20,000 feet. And, you know, we worked hard and trained for all that and, and all of that. But you know what? It was, it was hope that got us to the top. It was hope. Hope kept us going. And I, and I just felt like it was important to tell that because someone probably needs to hear that tonight. Someone probably needs to hear that because I think for there's a lot of us that have been kind of in the middle of a long uphill trudge for a couple of years or maybe something's going on right now that's a mountain in front of you. With all the politics and the personal stress that apparently the social scientists say we're all under, with all the questions surrounding like education, what do you do with the kids and, 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 and isolation and vaccination and you know, uh, I, uh, cancellations, one thing on top of another. It's been a strange, strange time. And I know some of us feel like we got a big old backpack right now with some sadness and some strain and some stress in it, some worry or conflict, something you're sad about. And you wonder when you see some others tap out, like, am I going to make it? So, friends, the message of Christmas, if it is a message about anything, it's a message about hope. This is a message of hope. And I feel like someone might need that encouragement. Someone who's on your mountain right now. Someone who's trudging up in the dark. 
someone who feels kind of weary. <clears throat> because when you think about it, what happened to me in that group that night on Mount Kilimanjaro with the sun breaking through in the darkness and pumping hope into us is really the Christmas story in a nutshell. I mean, it was a world that was literally in what could be described as covered in darkness. The people who walked in darkness, the Bible says, finally saw a great light. And God burst onto the scene with the one who would one day be known as the light of the world to bring what was most needed, and that is hope. And it appeared, first of all, with actual light in the sky to a bunch of shepherds, the Bible says, at night, who represent all of us who need a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. You recognize those words at all? Where, where, where is it from? Yeah, it's from the song, O Holy Night, right? We've been kind of looking at some of these old classic, old style tunes, and they, they just are so full of rich biblical themes that didn't give us so much help. And O Holy Night's one of those songs, I think. It was written in the 1800s by a French guy. We oui, wee oui, was French. It was in French. I, I can't quote it to you, but... And then he uh, got another very famous composer who had written a bunch of ballets to put it to music, and they did, and they sang it at church on Christmas Eve, and it was a big hit instantly, and it spread around, and then they figured out the guy's politics. Uh, Adolf Adam, you can go read about him. They didn't like his socialism and all his politics, so the, the church at the time decided it was a bad idea to have that song around. They said, we're going to ban that song, stop singing that song, and people weren't having it, and they're like, we love this song, and they kept singing it, and then a guy, a minister, took it over to the United States, and he translated it into English, and that's the song that we have today. That was also the 1800s, right in the middle of the Civil War, and he did not believe. He thought slavery was abhorrent. He was an abolitionist, and he particularly was drawn to that verse that says, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. And people began to recognize that this is a song of hope. It's a song not just for slaves, but for all people who feel enslaved by the way life is in this world with an uphill trudge and who need hope. And then it has that line, long lay the world in sin and error pining, a picture of like how we're all kind of waiting for God to show up, like we're waiting on something new to break in. And the shepherds represent that, don't they? Till he appeared. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, and it pictures, just like that morning on the mountain for me that day, how Christ has broken in. Hey, look, the angel said. And Christ brought a thrill of hope and continues to do so. And when you have hope in Christ, it changes everything. But it's the long lay the world in sin and error pining part that's hard for us while we're waiting, right? Waiting is hard. Advent is a season we talk a lot about waiting, and a lot of us know what it's like to be waiting. The Bible says waiting can be very hard, especially if you do it without hope. Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We all know what that's like. When you're hoping for something, you're waiting and waiting, but then you start to realize, this may never happen. I may never make it to the top. And then, then you don't feel so great, and your hope gets squished. And some of us are waiting. What are you waiting for? Because we're all kind of waiting on something. I know people who are waiting for life to begin again after a divorce or a breakup. I know some people who are 
waiting for a child that they've been praying for and it hasn't come. I know some folks in this church are searching for a job and they've been waiting for that opening, but they're kind of overqualified or underqualified or nothing really lights their fire and they don't know whether to take it or not and they're waiting. I know more and more people who are waiting for their mental health to change so they can get out of bed in the morning and just have the will to live. I know some folks that are waiting on test results. I know some folks that are old and sick and they're waiting to die. I know some folks who are waiting for a marriage that would turn into something they always dreamed it would be. I know some folks that are waiting for a child who has distanced themselves from everyone important to them and, and from God, and they're waiting. I know, some, I know some addicts that are waiting for the courage for that breakthrough that's going to change everything, but it hadn't come yet. What are you waiting for? Because we're all waiting on something. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. I want to I share something with you. Weary people in a weary world. Okay, that's who we are. Waiting. I want to share something with you from the Christmas story that I think is there, but we usually miss it. And once I share it with you, I think it'll, it'll change it. And so we got to read the Christmas story, which is fun to do on Christmas service. So here we are. You go to your Bible, Luke chapter 2. I've brought someone with me that's going to help read the Christmas story. So will you welcome my friend Caleb as he comes out? We're going to put the words on the screen. Caleb, come on out here. Welcome my friend Caleb. Here he comes. Hey, buddy. All right. Caleb's going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and following, a long string of verses. And uh, you follow along on the screen if you want. Are you ready to roll? Yes. Give it a whirl. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The so they hurried and hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all were heard. But Mary. It, but Mary. Oh, but Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things 
and pondered them in her heart. The, the Joseph, the shepherds, returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that he had heard and seen, which were just as they had, just as, just, just as they had been told. Awesome. Don't leave me hanging. I thought you came back for the fist bump. <laughs> it's an amazing story. It's the best story that's ever been told, really. There's so much here. And there's something that I, I see in here now that I, I want to help you see. And I think it's been there all along, but we, a lot of us miss it. And, and it. and it really will help us with our hope. So let, let me take you there, okay? First of all, it's this idea of how utterly ridiculous it is, bombastic, if you will, that the... The God of the universe, when he chose to appear in person, in the flesh, on the planet, did so, first of all, to shepherds. Now, we think of shepherds like, oh, they're just nice guys that hang out in the whole little lammies, you know, wear the bathrobes, all that. But you know what? In the first century, shepherds, some of you know this, shepherds were the absolute lowest on the social scale. They were, they were the lowlifes. They, they were not wanted. They were... They were outcasted. They, the way you might think of today, like a, a, someone you really just don't respect or want in your home. Like some of us, you might say, well, a street person or that drug dealer or something like that. That's how they were thought of. They were uneducated. They were unkempt. They were uncouth. They were, in a word, losers. You don't want shepherds. Second of all, you know what? They were known as being liars. They were cheaters. You couldn't trust a shepherd as far as you could throw it. Him. Throw him. They, in fact, they had a law. You couldn't even uh, testify in a court of law if you were a shepherd. That's how much they didn't trust these guys. They were notorious for stealing. Nobody trusted. You don't want to hear what a shepherd has to say. And third, you know, they were, they were intensely lonely because they didn't really have families. Most of, all of them were single and they lived out in the wilderness, we know. They didn't even hang out with each other that much because they're always just hanging around with the sheep. They didn't have much family life. These are intensely lonely people. And on top of that, they were they were. They were spiritually unclean. They were considered contaminated in a religious sense all the time because, well, there were the Jewish people in those days, they had all kind of laws and rules about touching things. And if you did, then you had to go through a purification ritual and do all that stuff to get clean. But they, these guys were out there. They were touching dirt and dead things and dung all day, every day. They couldn't do all that stuff. So they were always considered unclean before God, unworthy for coming into his presence. And here's the irony. They're, they're actually raising some of the lambs and sheep that will be used over in the temple as sacrifices so God can forgive sins of people. But they themselves couldn't even go anywhere near the temple. And so for most people, they thought these guys are liars, losers, loners, and just kind of don't want anything to do with them. And they, can, they thought that God felt the same way. So you see, when you, when you realize kind of how these guys fit into the social equation, it helps us realize how beautiful it is. I mean, breathtaking, really, isn't it? That, that God would come and appear first of all to them. I mean, come on, you guys. If, if there's hope for shepherds, there's hope for you and me and all of us. This really might be what the angel said, good news, not bad news, but good news 
of joy for all people. And again, I think it's especially important because I know some of us feel like, well, I, you know, deep down you feel like I'm a loser, you know, or you feel like you're unwanted. You feel like, you feel like, yeah, I've broken someone's trust. I have people in my life, they don't ever want to hear from me again. They don't want to hear what I have to say. Or you might just feel so lonely or like maybe it's the religion thing. It's left a bad taste in your mouth. You don't want to play the games or understand the rules. Pretty sure God wouldn't want anything to do with you as well. We're all so much like these shepherds and that's what happened that night when the angels bust in and said this good news of great joy. If it meant it for them, it means it for all of us. See? And that's so important. God didn't come to the perfect people or the powerful people. He didn't come to the pretty influencers on Instagram. He, he came to a bunch of shepherd nobodies. That's the people in the middle of the night, in the uphill trudge, in the dark, that need the thrill of hope, and that's the good news. If you're not getting what, what this is, then just kind of move around the nativity set you have at home and think about this. So we got Mary and Joseph and the baby and some animals, and then you got the shepherds. Who are the other people that always show up in the, in the nativity set? Who is it? Yeah, the three kings, the wise men, the magi, whatever you want to call them, right? And, and so we think about these guys. They're almost the complete opposite, aren't they? Because they're not poor. They have all the money. They, they have access to funds and wealth, obviously. They're very educated. They hobnob with kings and princes. These guys are all over the place. But the other thing is they... These guys that show up on camels, they're, they're not Jewish people. They're, they're not from the house of God. They don't know anything about the Messiah, really. In fact, they're kind of weird, mystical, religious astrologers who do things and engage in things the Bible calls an abomination. But they were hungry for truth. And they were humble enough to listen to what the Scriptures said. And they went on a search and that was enough for God. And it led them to the same place following the same light that the shepherds went, which was to the feet of Jesus. And the other thing about those wise men, they got there late. Like, when you go home, I mean, read your Bible. I mean, they weren't there, okay? They missed the whole birth. They, like, completely missed the thing. When you set up your nativity set, so you had to set the wise men like a, across the street or out in the garage or across, you know, they weren't there. By the time they show up, Jesus is like gaga, goo goo. He's saying mama, dada. He's got teeth and probably starting to walk. They, they were late to the party. They're outsiders. You see what I'm saying? But they were willing to go on a journey. For some of us, the problem is not that we're too poor of spirit, it's that we're too proud. It's that not that we don't have anything like a shepherd, but that our biggest obstacle is that we're too comfortable and we think we have everything we need. We wouldn't want to humble ourselves to go on a journey like they did. Or maybe you feel like you're just kind of late to the party. Like Christianity's great, but it's for those Christians. You feel like you're too old or too hardened in your ways. But if you're hungry enough and willing to be humble enough to go on a journey and seek for truth, I tell you, it's going to bring you to the same place it did those guys. It's going to bring you right there to the feet of Jesus. And 
This is where you find shepherds and wise men right there together, the proud and the poor, the low and the high, the nobody and the somebody, the people who had nothing and the people who thought they had everything, the people who knew what religion called for but fell short, and the people who didn't even know what the whole religious thing was about at all, complete outsiders, and every one of us is in there somewhere in one of these two ways. but, But the point is, it's good news of great joy for all people. And there's incredible amounts of hope in that statement. And some of you may feel like I've got a long way to go. You need to travel afar. And others of you, it's like you're right around the corner like the shepherds. I don't know where you are, but I just would hope you'll have enough courage and sense and bravery and humility and hunger to want truth and be willing to check it out for yourself. And that's why this church is here, honestly. We're not a collection of people who like to go to services. You know what we are? We're a place for people who are like those guys, hungry enough to see what's what's really true, what makes the most sense, and come and try it with us. Try this next series. We're calling it, it's called A Thrill of Hope, or A Rising Hope, or whatever we're calling it. It's about hope. Come. It's in January. (laughs) It's what our groups are about. Come and hop in a group with us and figure out, you know, hang out with some people who are on the same journey as you. Go down and put together houses with us in in Kentucky. We're going to go down and do some trips like that. Get your hands dirty. Do something good. Join us with that. One way or another, I invite you to do that. And and I believe that if you do, you will end up the same place the shepherds and the wise men did. The feet of Jesus. And then there's only one thing to do, and that is to fall on your knees. I want to just leave you with two things that I think will help you feel at a practical level how important it is to have hope of Christ. Not just like a faint hope, but like a hope that's anchored in the unshakable Christ who came. And the first thing is this. When you have hope that's anchored to Christ, it gives you strength. Hope gives you strength you didn't know you have. Anybody ever been in a situation like that where you, you, were, you were too weak for it, but the hope of Christ gave you more strength than you knew you had. That happened to me on Killy in a way. And it, I've got a video that I think brings this to life. Watch this.
Isn't it? I just find it, I find it remarkable and kind of a universal human experience when we're motivated by hope, what we can do. And if that hope is only within ourselves and up to us, it's not going to be a very strong hope. But if that hope is something powerful outside of us, like it's anchored to Jesus, then it gives you incredible strength. Hope gives you ability to do things you didn't know you could do. It puts you know, pep in your step and strength in your veins and when you, when you have hope. So where are you feeling weak right now? Where are you, where are you feeling like a hope would help? And I invite you to surrender that area to God, to the Jesus who came. You know, m- many times in my life when I am feeling weak, it's because I'm afraid. Fear has a way of disintegrating hope, doesn't it? Don't forget the shepherds, when they uh, first saw the, uh, the, the angels, they weren't all excited at first. What happened? They were terrified. And there's so many things that can terrify us, and we live in a very scary time, it seems. But fear will neutralize your strength because it will rob you of your hope, and when hope's gone, you've got no, no strength. And so the, the angels from God gave a message that I probably wants to give to somebody tonight. And the message was simple. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know that word, fear not, that phrase is in the Bible 365 times. One for every single day of this next year. Because you're probably going to find something you can be afraid of if you want to. But you can also hear the angels say to you, do not be afraid. And when you are not afraid, you can find your hope. It's anchored to Christ. It'll give you strength to do stuff you didn't know you could do. And the second thing that hope will do for you is it'll give you peace. It'll give you peace even when stuff in life looks really, really bad. Glory to God in the highest, the angel said. And on earth, what? Peace, y'all, because you need it. That's what the angel said. Because it really looks like you could use some peace. That's the message for you this Christmas. Even when life is blown apart, some of you... You know, I had close friends and family down in Kentucky and the other parts of the country that had that incredible damage. You maybe saw there was a man who was returning to try to find his house. He could barely identify his street, his neighborhood, but he finally found the place that was his house and he was walking around in the devastation and the ruins and he said a, a sense of calm and peace came over him. He felt like God was just telling him everything was going to be okay. And then he said a song came to mind. Now, this is an old song, and some of you old-timers might remember it. Most of you probably won't even know the song. But it's a simple song that goes like this. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. There's another part at the end that goes, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. And thinking about that name brought him an unusual piece. And then he noticed that one of the few pieces of furniture still standing in his home was his old upright piano. And he sat down. Watch.
Kings and kingdoms will pass away. There's something about that name, and that name, it wasn't just words the angels said, peace on earth. It was peace that the Prince of Peace, Jesus grew to be known as the Prince of Peace, can give to us that can never be taken away even when everything around you is blown apart. When you've got Christ and his hope inside of you, then whatever's going around outside of you, you can still have peace. And that's our prayer for each one of us this Christmas. One last thing. You know, Christmas is about when Jesus comes to us. And when he comes, he brings all this stuff. He brings the, the assets of hope, and he brings the asset of strength and peace and joy and unbreakable love, but, but it's a two-way street. There's got to be a relationship there. Christmas isn't just about Jesus coming to us. It's about him saying to you, come to me, all you who are weary. If a weary world is going to rejoice, it's not just in the coming of Christ, it's in the receiving of Christ. So yes, it's about Jesus coming, but it's about him saying to you, I need you to come to me so that relationship can be galvanized, so that you can have access to all the assets in the full that the shepherds wanted, the wise men wanted, and we all want. And that it would lead you to express that the same way that the shepherds and the wise men did. When they found Jesus, they, the wise men brought gifts. I don't know if the shepherds brought anything, maybe a lamb. But what Jesus was really interested, what God was interested in that moment is what the Bible says, they fell on their knees. Fall on your knees. Just like the song says. And our prayer is that we would all do that with our spirits, with our attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who brings us hope. Hope that's in your cup, that's on your playlist. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, we, we invite your presence here, and in this moment we pray for any person who is ready to surrender some fear and some worry or some pride. And like shepherds and wise men of old and millions of others since, ready to fall on our knees and to join the angel voices and say, Christ is my Lord, and to find our hope. Give us your hope, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.